changes in the color of your skin, ranging from blue to cherry red. Confusion, cough, fast heart rate, rapid breathing, shortness of breath, slow heart rate, sweating, wheezing. The classic horror story starts with what happens when things go bump in the night. What do you do? Do you go downstairs in that dark basement when you know you shouldn't with the creaky steps? Lord knows uh, you wouldn't have a horror movie with uh, nicely carpeted steps in a new development home from a year ago where you would be completely silent going downstairs. You would probably scare whatever's down there with carpeted steps. There should be like a satire horror movie where the monsters are watching the humans come down the stairs. But what happens when things go bump underwater? I can tell you from experience, there are often things beneath the surface of the water that most people don't expect. As a seal doing lots of night dives with whoever my dive buddy would have been at the time. Of course, there's lots of talking about buddies and the military and operations. There's dive buddies and drinking buddies and shooting buddies and swim buddies. But there's few things as terrifying as getting bumped on your left side as your dive buddy is on your right side. This whole thing made me think of the Van Halen album, Diver Down. When he was asked about the album, singer, one of three, I think, of course, the best singer of the band, David Lee Roth, said it was meant to mean or imply there was something going on that's not apparent to your eyes. You put up the red flag with the white slash. Well, a lot of people approach Van Halen as sort of the abyss. It means it's not immediately apparent to your eyes what is going on underneath the surface. Like I said, you do a lot of underwater diving in the SEAL teams. SEAL stands for Sea, Air, Land for a reason. I was a dive supervisor, and there's some advanced training that you go to for that for a short period, and you learn all about dive medicine. Of course, every advanced diver, which every SEAL is, learns a lot about dive medicine, and we learned even more than that. The signs and symptoms of hypoxia, which is lack of effective delivery of oxygen to your tissues for perhaps multiple possible reasons. I am not a doctor. But the symptoms range from blue skin or cyanosis. I always like that word for some reason. Confusion, fast heart rate, rapid breathing. A lot of these symptoms could be confused with other things, but of course in a dive environment, they might be easily identifiable as to what's going on. Many of you out there are probably thinking, well, these sound like coronavirus. And of course they do because coronavirus, among other things, results in the uh, sufferer, the victim, feeling hypoxia, or I should say 
a lot of times not even feeling it. There's this phenomenon of the happy hypoxics, which tend to be younger to maybe ranging to middle-aged, healthy males and females who show up in the emergency room not really indicating that they are in poor spirits uh, or ill in any way other than maybe maybe one symptom or two, um, but to seem serious enough, given the coronavirus uh, problem, to go get checked out. And it turns out some of them need to be on ventilators right away and uh, have significant interventions in order to prevent the spread of the disease um, and uh, cure them so that they don't advance and end up dying as a result of this happy hypoxia. How does this happy hypoxia happen? The fact is that you feel the urge to breathe when you hold your breath due to the buildup of CO2, not because of the lack of oxygen. I'll say that again. For most people out of there, this is a mind bender and is, is a shock because this is not what you expect. They don't teach this in school, at least most schools. The reason you feel the urge to breathe when you hold your breath is because the CO2, the carbon dioxide, is building up in your tissues and you have no way to get rid of it. You actually don't have an impulse, a direct impulse at least, to breathe in the oxygen. The result of this is that you could be diving underwater. I'm just gonna say diving from here on out. And let's say you had a tank full of nitrogen instead of oxygen or instead of air. You could die peacefully underwater as a seal, as a commando underwater you learn how to dive on oxygen rebreathers. And those rebreathers filter out the carbon dioxide and deliver new oxygen to your mouthpiece, which you then breathe in and survive. The thing is though, if your oxygen is not working, you could just be rebreathing in your own carbon dioxide if it's not getting filtered out correctly and nitrogen and other air components that are much smaller and not uh, feel that urge to breathe. Granted, you'll, there, are, there are symptoms. So you might notice it if you're aware, your dive buddy should notice it as well. But uh, they would go very unnoticed to the untrained person and end up just blacking out underwater and dying. So the so what of today's episode is that often cause and effect, need and desire, illness and symptom are not connected in the ways that most humans think. And this is a mental model that probably applies more than we know. It goes back to what we talked about in episode zero, the very first episode of this podcast, the base upon which this small house is built. I've been around the breeze block was the title of that one. We talked about Bastiat's, an economist, Frederick Bastiat's 
concept of the seen and the unseen. Life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you could miss it. I mentioned all those symptoms earlier. <laughs> the easiest way to measure your symptoms is with a pulse oximeter. And you can then very easily tell if you have hypoxia or not. I went on Amazon sometime during the middle of the pandemic and tried to find a pulse oximeter when it was clear that hypoxia was one of the first things that affected people were experiencing. And all I could find was $200 pulse oximeters with two-star reviews because they were clearly sold out. I wonder what other places we can apply this mental model of hypoxia. There are probably some very practical examples in, let's say, police work, perhaps even fire rescue. Definitely, I'm sure, I'm not a doctor. I worked in a healthcare startup, health tech startup for a little bit. So I'm positive there are examples there, although I cannot actually come up with any because, uh, again, not an MD. Another very practical example, and I think a lot of us take it for granted once you've been driving for a long time, or if you've taken any driving courses, which we did in the military, is when you skid in a car, when you first skid in a car, a lot of young drivers have the opposite reaction they should have. This is a pretty disorienting feeling you experience when you first skid in the rain. And perhaps this is a subset of the issue that we're talking about with hypoxia. The sign symptom in this case is indicative that there's an issue. It's, it's obvious, it's much more apparent that something's happening. But again, your initial temptation is to make exactly the wrong reaction. Perhaps our focus here should be on the catastrophic nature of what's going on. Obviously, there are an infinite number of examples that we can come up with where there's something going on that we don't see. The office manipulator behind your back might not be something you see until it's too late. And so there we arrive at perhaps what that focus should be. Something really, really bad may happen as a result if you don't act. But how can you act? Because everything seems to be going hunky-dory. Reminds me of a time at a uh, very high growth and doing well venture startup in the e-commerce space. And it was one of the best work experiences I ever had. <laughs> the reality was that even though we would get updates from the founders and they were semi-transparent, I think they were actually probably very transparent with the facts. The reality was that they weren't able to raise money. And it got to a point where they let two-thirds of product engineering and design, which was, let's call it half the company, go. And <laughs> there were some probably signs in that last week, such as some canceled meetings, maybe there was a canceled all hands, all sorts of stuff they were going through. And it wasn't clear 
exactly what was going on until the day before they let everybody go. And even that day before, it was still easy to be naive about the extent of the cuts. Hey, folks, before we get back to the episode, just a couple things. I am ramping up the amount of content that we're putting out, we're putting out more and more on Instagram. We will be on YouTube soon. And you can visit thewarriorpoet.com where all my medium essays are linked there and we'll have the podcast and plenty of other things too as we build out a lot of useful tools and hopefully plenty of entertaining things along the way, as you know we like to do. Secondly, longtime listeners will notice we have a lot less music on the show now. And as I mentioned last episode, that's because I've done a ton of research about fair use, which is a defense in intellectual property disputes. And until we can get conclusive about what the permissibility is there, I'm holding off on including a lot of direct music, uh, but I'll continue to refer to it because it is so integral to the program and a lot of you enjoy it. And I will continue to find ways for you to engage with that content easily so you can enjoy it and we can argue about it. Back to the episode. Maybe hypoxia is just a metaphor for lack of information in situations where there is significant downside risk. Information is the lifeblood, I would argue, of an organization. I haven't heard anybody say that before. Uh, if, if you've heard someone say it, please uh, DM me on Instagram. I'd love to check out their work. I need to think about this concept more. And I think we could probably build out a lot of takeaways from that information focus in the organization. Now, usually I try and generate tons of examples, but I hope in this shorter episode than usual, we've generated a good mental model. All mental models aren't necessarily metaphors, but many of the most helpful ones are. I often like to say that all of genius is metaphor. In a book that I'm reading now called Kafka on the Shore by one of my favorite authors, Haruki Murakami, I'll link to it in the show notes, there are separate discussions in the book about the theme of metaphor and how the mind builds itself. Those are my words. But the characters in separate scenes, separate, totally separate characters, talk about at times how we connect two things. Let's say a hot dog and mustard. And then we connect those things to other things. And we don't even realize that this is how we're building knowledge and logic between things, rules for thinking. It's just building a lexicon, a way to make sense of the world on top of objects. And I mean objects in the general sense, in a sort of computer science sense. All these things 
in our head, whether that thing be an action like running or that thing be something you could touch or that thing be an abstract concept. We just build and build and build more connections, more connections, more connections between these things. And many of the most powerful relationships are comparisons to other relationships. And that, of course, is what we're talking about in terms of metaphor. A character named Oshima says at one point, I'm repeating myself, but everything in life is metaphor. We accept irony through a device called metaphor. And through that, we grow and become deeper human beings. So when you think about your business, when you think about your team, maybe even when you think about your relationship, your marriage, think about that diver underwater, kicking his fins around happily, not getting nearly enough oxygen, gradually blacking out and circling the drain. I hope you've got your warmest wetsuit on, your mask, your fins, your dive knife. Better be sharp, because we are appropriately today going to get all the way wet. The album Diver Down by Van Halen. I used to think the title was actually a sexual metaphor, so judge me if you want. I, of course, talked about the... David Lee Roth quote in the beginning that explains their deeper sensibility about the album. Turns out they came back from tour and just wanted to sort of stay in the public consciousness. I can't remember which album exactly was before this. There were at least three, maybe four albums before Diver Down. They, as a consequence of wanting to stay in the headlines decided to release a single and they were just going to do, I think, Dancing in the Streets or something like that. Might have been Pretty Woman. They recorded it and released it. And then after the song started selling like crazy and being played on radio stations, the record company went back to them and said, we got to have an album. So the guys got into the studio and recorded the album in something like 12 days without very much new music whatsoever, which is evidenced by the fact there are five covers out of 12 tracks. And then there are also three instrumentals. So there are just four new songs on the record. Some of the songs just straight up suck. I'm going to be honest with you. And many of them were probably just okay at the time and are extremely cringy right now. There's a couple good instrumentals. Like I said, Eddie Van Halen is slash was a guitar god. I think he's not doing too well. So we wish him well. Naturally, because of his guitar prowess, the instrumentals are pretty cool. And I especially like his acoustic stuff, which is so different 
than what everyone has come to expect of uh, Van Halen over the years since Inception, since that first amazing album just entitled Van Halen. So Little Guitars, the intro to that is pretty cool. They also have a song called Happy Trails, which they basically recorded as a joke, but it actually got a good response. And I'm looking on Spotify right now and it's got a, a decent like rating. Some of the songs just are, are odd. I'll say this. A lot of people, classic rock aficionados, will like songs like Hang 'em High, which, and, and The Full Bug, I, I kind of do not appreciate either of those. My taste may not be objective. Feel free and check them out at your own risk. There seems to be a streak of the Wild West in here. So, like, Big Bad Bill is Sweet William now, is a, a remake of some Western song. They've got the Happy Trails that they recorded. They've got Hang 'em High. All that is in stark contrast to the title of the album. A few final notes here on Diver Down. The two top tracks on the album, Pretty Woman and Dance in the Street, the originals are so much better I probably sound like one of those old guys saying that, but of course I'm talking about Van Halen, which are also old. So I'm going pretty far back to the original Pretty Woman and Dancing in the Street. And to have a rock band sing these is just extremely cheesy. I guess the other comparison you can make is with a few Guns N' Roses covers of, say, Civil War by Bob Dylan. But I think the way Guns N' Roses did those things was not in any way cheesy and actually added something unique to the songs. Some of the choices in making this album are kind of, I think, revealing about how much of an artistic impact David Lee Roth had on the band's creative process and, and what they put out and maybe was predictive of Eddie Van Halen's regretful venturing into synthesizers and stuff like that. Of course, I, maybe the exception some people would make is the song Jump, which was one of their mega hit tracks, although it's just not my favorite and doesn't stand up at all to some of the original works on the first record. I'll close with this Rolling Stone review from 1982, I think is when the album came out, by a writer named Park Pewterbaugh. I'll link to the article in the show notes. He writes, way back then, the LP, long play, kicks off with a cover of the Kinks classic Ode to Better Days. Quote, where have all the good times gone? That's a song title, by the way. That's me talking, not Park Pewterbaugh. Continuing on. Where have all the good times gone that lays bare singer David Lee Roth's shortcomings? He can uncork a robust assortment of kung fu grunts, bobcat yells, and salacious ooees and whoa nows, but he's no interpreter. Here, as on the other remakes, he sings the words phonetically as if he were reading them off flashcards. I think that's pretty damning. And Where Have All the Good Times Gone by the Kinks is 
just not even that great a song. So I'm not sure what they were thinking. They, they, it's like they were a kid's band just picking songs that they knew how to play or could play easily. As you take away this mental model of catastrophe lying beneath the surface, think about, is your business that happy hypoxic who's about to walk into the ER in a critical condition? And are you the diver down? Yep. I said it before and I'll say it again. Life moves pretty fast. You don't stop and look around once in a while. You could miss it. like the warrior poet there's more great content on instagram follow shri the warrior poet on instagram that's s-r-i the warrior poet you can also get to know me on a personal level by following shri actually on instagram as well the warrior poet is produced by laddie with special contributions by Spoonman and me No, 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 no. Kevin, me na do it. Speed up.